Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. It's clear these days it's tough to make time. Schedules quickly become busy and calendars suddenly become full. To that end, DPC is excited to now offer this podcast channel, which will allow you to hear a recording of Sunday's sermon from that day's preacher. Whether you listen while taking an evening stroll, driving to and from the grocery store, or anytime you get a free couple of minutes, we hope it can allow for reflection and spiritual growth during your week. We also invite you to visit www.dtownpc.org to learn more about our church, our various ministries, and online giving opportunities. Thank you for tuning in. It is so good to be back with you today. I have been worshiping with you online for the past six weeks, but it certainly is not the same as being able to gather in the sanctuary with those of you who are assembled here and to speak directly to those of you who are joining us via our live stream. During my time apart, I was blessed by the love and concern shown to Lori and me, by the ways members and staff stepped forward to fill the gap, things that didn't surprise me about any of you, but were deeply appreciated even so. When joined with the abundant prayers offered on my behalf and the excellent medical care I received, I can tell you that I'm certainly much further along than I thought I would be on October the 1st. And yet I stand before you today, the proud owner of a new Zimmer hip, feeling blessed in body and mind and spirit. One might even say that I have been renewed. Renewal, of course, is both the goal and the, the key wording in our Be Renewed Generosity initiative. When that team began its work in May, they recognized a need, a deep longing in our congregation. We had just come back to the possibility of in-person worship. And we knew that we needed to be renewed in our faith and in our connections to one another, in our relationship to God and in claiming God's mission for us here. I was actively involved in all of the planning for that initiative. And yet my injury occurred on the day of the first event. And my initial Sunday back in the pulpit comes on the day when we make our financial commitments for the next two years. So instead of ignoring those kind of bracketed events, I wanted to speak today about some of what happened to me while away and what, some of what is happening here this morning. I was scheduled to preach the four previous Sundays to today and yet you'll be relieved to know I don't feel compelled to offer five sermons in one. (laughs) And instead, I'm deeply grateful for the four gifted colleagues who brought God's word to you, thus enabling me simply to focus on what our act today is meant to represent. The two passages of scripture that we've heard read this day both speak to that reality They were composed by different individuals who lived centuries apart from one another. They were addressed to congregations very different than our own, and neither one of them 
make explicit reference to offering financial gifts back to God. And yet, consistently, through both of those accounts, we hear of the way it has always been that people of faith have been able to engage in bold and generous deeds. The words of God found in the prophet Isaiah were addressed to the Israelites during a time of exile when they had been forcibly removed from their home and were living hundreds of miles away. And clearly in that kind of setting, they had cause to wonder about the state of their relationship with God because they knew they had been taken into exile because of their unfaithfulness. And yet, in the words that we heard this morning, God reminds them that there was this promise made to their ancestors and that those promises live on in them. As God says to them, do not be afraid, for I will be with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. I have certainly experienced the presence of God during the weeks that we have been apart. As from the moment I missed that bottom step in my garage to the moment I took the first step back in this pulpit, there have been countless times when it has been apparent to me that God has been working in my life and the life of others. Certainly, I saw that in the ways that family and friends, most notably Lori, interrupted their life to be with me when I was hurt and then in the recovery that followed. I've seen it in the acts of great love shown by all of you. The cards, the prayers, the meals, the other deeds of kindness. I have seen it in the great medical care I received, offered both with skill and compassion. And I've seen it in those neighbors of mine who mowed my yard and ran errands for me and tied my shoes because I couldn't do those things. Now, I doubt any of them would readily admit that they were an agent of God in that moment, but I'm telling you they were, and they all were part of my recovery. But there are also moments when I wasn't physically present, when I believe that I've been blessed by how God was working. One of those occurred in a story I heard after the fact of something my surgeon said to the team in the operating room before I was wheeled in. For apparently, before I arrived, he said to that group, now, our next patient is a pastor. Could you please watch your language while he's in the room? And apparently, one member of that team, deeply respected, but also one well-known for vocabulary that, let's say, wouldn't be sanctuary appropriate, said in response to that surgeon, well, should I just leave the room now, then? <laughs> well, I'm confident that my surgery would have gone just as well without that request, but I appreciated the effort even so. For the reality is, of course, that God hasn't promised 
to protect us from colorful words or from broken hips, but God has made promises to us that sometimes I think we misunderstand. In one of the nine books I read while away, I had a lot of time on my hands. In one of those books, I heard part of the life and story of a woman named Kate Bowler, who is a professor of North American church history at Duke Divinity School. In a book called No Cure for Being Human, she told of a journey that challenged her life and faith as never before. For at age 35, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And then recounts that journey and its impact upon her as a professor and a wife and the mother of a toddler. She tells of the time after her first surgery when she was given clear instructions that she couldn't be discharged until she was able to eat solid food and walk freely. And so she worked diligently on both of those tasks and tells of one day when in her walk she went down to the hospital gift shop. She recounts that moment by saying, I I can see now that my behavior probably was a little unsettling for that teenager who was working behind the counter in the gift shop to see a patient in her blue gown wheeling her IV with her muttering to no, no one in particular, but loudly over this carousel of books and beginning to pull them off, not one by one, but dozens by dozens. I said to no one in particular, Bowler said, can I speak to the manager? And a few minutes later, the manager appeared and said, can I help you, ma'am? And Bowler says, yeah, I pointed down to this pile of Christian bestsellers on the floor. And I said to her, you can't sell these books in a hospital. She said, I have researched in my professional life, I have studied what these books are all about and the history and the individuals involved in it. And it's a movement known as the prosperity gospel. Like this book, for example, she said, nudging one on the floor with her foot. The manager says, well, it says it's a New York Times bestseller. And Bowler says, yeah, that's right. But it's also proclaiming the prosperity gospel. He says in this book that God will give you health and money if only you have the right kind of faith. The manager said, well, well, what kind of books would you recommend? And Bowler looked around and said, well, I didn't see any books that talked about how to let go of the past, how to live in the present, how to anticipate a different future. And so I simply said to her, could you simply get rid of all of these books that blame people for their own disease? With that, the conversation ended. And the next time that professor patient wheeled by the bookshop, she looked in the window and saw displayed there that the book she had objected to had been removed, but it had been replaced by another one that was clearly reflecting a prosperity gospel. 
perspective too. Friends, God hasn't promised to protect us from hard times. But God has vowed that we never face those times alone. God has not said that there won't be moments that could be fear-evoking for any of us, but rather that in the midst of those that we can find this strength from beyond ourselves. God has not promised in acts of generosity like the ones many of us will make in a few minutes that if we take that step, we will be blessed financially in response. Instead, as we move through a journey in which we seek to be renewed in our mind and heart, in our strength and spirit, what we are called to do is to engage in acts of faithfulness, demonstrating our trust in God no matter what happens next. Our words from the letter of the Hebrews also echo that sentiment. The key verse, in my view, in that passage comes when the writer says, let us hold fast to the hope of our confession without wavering. For the one who has promised is faithful. He speaks that word in the midst of a description that sounds an awful lot like worship. He talks about entering a sanctuary, speaks about celebrating the gifts of God and the waters of baptism, speaks about how we would encourage one another with hope and good works and how we need to gather together. What he's pointing to is what happens when a community acts upon the promises of God. Now, we know that. We've certainly seen that as we've been emerging from this pandemic. In the fullness of life, it has gone far more slowly than any of us would have thought or hoped. And that's certainly been true at DPC as well. I look back this week to compare sort of average worship attendance this fall to 2019. And it's roughly half right now. And then I also look to see the difference between how many logins we had via the live stream two years ago and the average now, and it's nine times high, higher today. I, I celebrate the ways that we have broadened our understanding of what it means to be gathered in worship, and I'm committed to continuing both of those opportunities moving ahead, and yet... What we also know is that we need to be together. We need to be present with one another. Which is why it seems to me that our Be Renewed responses gives us a glimpse of really where we are as a body of faith. Last Sunday, the co-executive directors of that initiative, Bob Maxwell and Julie Toner, gave you some wonderful first reports. We had about 55 commitments turned in at that point of what we estimate. We'll have about 300 more before it's all said and done. Of those gifts that have already been counted, the total is about $1.1 million, just over a quarter 
of our overall goal. It is a wonderful start. And yet the reality is it will continue to depend upon all of us to offer our faithful and generous responses to God as a clear reflection of our trust in the promises God has made. Tom Long, professor of Mayan Seminary, a guest in our pulpit here a number of years ago, wrote a commentary on the letter to the Hebrews, and, and in talking about this passage, he, he gives some images about worship. Now, that book was published in 1997, which means that clearly he wrote at a time that no one could have anticipated a pandemic that would have separated us as people of faith one from the other. And given the fact that it was finished 24 years ago, some of the examples he uses are probably a bit dated. And yet I want to share it with you even so because I think he offers a timeless message about what it is that we experience as people of faith when we gather for worship. It is easy, of course, he says, to lose sight of that gift of worship, to let go of the truth that the little company gathered in a local congregation also gathered up into the presence of God and the great company of the saints. And thus it's hard to maintain the practice of worshiping together. The preacher in our text knew that and points out that, frankly, attendance at services in the first century had not been all that it could be. Some have gotten into the habit, he says, of neglecting to meet together. And we can understand that. The disincentives to corporate worship are many, Tom says. It seems somehow purer to worship God all alone on a deserted beach or in the still beauty of the night under the canopy of stars rather than in the midst of the ragtag assembly that shows up for church. Also, he says, we, we just get tired. Tired in worship, tired of worship. It is not only that the sermon may ramble on a, for a tad too long or that the pace of the service can sometimes lag. The weariness of worship is a deeper fatigue, a jaded sense that nothing of real significance happens here. The video store has better drama. Television has more interesting stories. The pool club has friendlier people. The park has a nicer view. The Sunday paper has more intrigue and sleeping in provides a more profound Sabbath rest. What is more, nobody at the beach or the backyard barbecue is going to hand us a pledge card. Call us to pray for people in a country whose name we cannot pronounce or ask us to teach the junior high youth. The only thing about this, Tom ends, is that while we are in the beach chair filling out the crossword puzzle, the faithful in the sanctuary, doing the best they can with their off-key voices to belt out holy, 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 have been gathered by a mystery 
beyond their own seeing and knowing into the great choir of the angels in festal garb and the saints singing ceaseless praises to God. Things are not what they seem. What looks like leisure turns out in the end to be exhausting. And what appears to be the labor of prayer leads to a safe lodging, a holy rest, and a peace at the last. It is that truth that brings us to this table. Whether we are gathered in this room or whether we are joining online, proclaiming our trust in the promises of God, the one who will strengthen us, the one who will help us, the one who will uphold us with his righteous hands. And so we come forward to offer our commitments back to God, reflecting how we are being renewed in the ties that nourish and feed and sustain us, proclaiming in a tangible way the redeeming love we have known in Jesus Christ. In other words, it is an act that demonstrates that we know, we know the one who has promised is faithful. Thank you for joining us on your journey of faith. Don't forget to check out www.dtownpc.org to explore all the ways DPC strives to be a bridge for Christ and a beacon of his love.